Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. And joining us in this episode of Flyers Daily, usually it's a Mondays with Meltzer, but with Memorial Day on Monday and us off for the day. We're back Tuesday, and Bill Meltzer joins us here from NHL.com, HockeyBuzz.com, and PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. What's going on, Bill? Did you have a good holiday weekend? I had a great holiday weekend. Absolutely gorgeous weather here. Um, you know, it, uh, was, couldn't, have, couldn't have asked for better. I really, you know, feels like summer, but as we're recording this, we're getting ready for a uh, playoff game seven to watch. So, uh, you know, still, still some hockey to be played, but, uh, yeah, very nice weekend. How about you? It was great. Got out of town, rode a lot of four wheelers and became one with nature. Mm-hmm. Although I, I got back and I was exhausted. I'm like, I did a lot of relaxing, but I'm so tired. Um, where I want to start in this episode with you is a couple of different places. Number one, I, w- I want to talk with about John Tortorella. We touched on him briefly last week. Torts did go public and say that he did talk to the Flyers, uh, but wouldn't give any information beyond that. Some are kind of looking at it and saying, hey, Torts turned down the Flyers because he doesn't have a job yet. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's working like that. Now, they talked to apparently Barry Trotz multiple times, according to reports as well. And uh, I'm sure many more, including Jim Montgomery. But the notion that the game is past John Tortorella by because some of the comments he had earlier this season regarding the Michigan goal and that he was kind of against it. And, you know, he wants players to, to be 200 foot responsible players, but today's generation wants the highlight reel. What, where do you stand on torts and the game today? Well, I, I think that even in his recent, recent coaching past, I thought he was getting Columbus to overachieve, you know, um, you know, the, I, I, he's very, you know, he, he is pretty old school in his tastes. No question about that. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I mean, I mean, you could say a lot of, a lot of coaches who with that kind of experience are kind of old school in a lot of their tastes. You know, if, if they ask Claude Julian the same question, for example, you know, he'd probably give the same answer. Um, if they asked Joel Quenville the same question, they'd probably yeah, have the same answer. Exactly, exactly. Now, you know, but if one of your guys scores it, it's it's one of those, you know, it's it's not not exactly the same thing. But there was there was an old story with, with Terry Crisp, and uh, you know, this was Crispy's first job was as a Flyers assistant before he moved on to being a head coach, and you know, uh, Flyers had Ben Wilson as 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 a rookie that year. And, uh, you know, Wilson did one of the, one of the hockey's cardinal sins. The line, the forwards are changing behind him and he skated the puck, the length of the ice and he scored. And, um, he got back to the bench and Chris, Chris said to him, you know, hell of a play, Willie, don't ever do that again. Yeah. You know, same kind of thing, right? If, if somebody scores a Michigan goal or one of those, uh, circus kind of goals, Hey, nice play. I don't want you doing that, but yeah. you know. Yeah, it, it because for a guy like Tortorella, I think that's a little bit too much. Look at me, look what I did. Right. Then right. not about what the team can do. I'll tell you who got really screwed, Bill. And that's a guy by the name of Mike Legg. Now, a lot of people right listen, listening right now are going, "Who the hell is Mike Legg?" Yeah. Mike Legg is the first is the guy. The goal, the Michigan goal, is named after from the 1996 NCAA tournament when he performed the lacrosse style goal. Other guys did it prior but he did it on a big stage and, you know, with the newer sticks and was able to scoop it up and put it in from behind the net. Nobody calls it the Mike leg goal. 
They call it the Michigan goal. This yes. guy has missed out on so many royalties. I'm <laughs> outraged by it. Yeah, they could have it on T-shirts. They could have it on, yeah. you know, yeah, all, all kinds of yeah. It was the Michigan goal, and actually, it was it was funny. I think I think well, it was Keith Jones had that had the joke. Yeah, I, Wade Allison tried it for, for the Phantoms this year. Kind of made the rounds, and he almost finished it. He he didn't quite finish it, and and Jonesy caught it the Western Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always in Michigan shadow. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, you look at torts and we'll see if this goes further. I think everything I, I still believe everything's probably predicated on Barry Trotz and what's happening there. And dominoes will fall yeah. as the decision with him gets made. Uh, but you wrote about Mike Volucci and he's a guy that uh, you were really interesting blog about. I read it on uh, this over the weekend. And uh, kind of tell people about Volucci and what he could bring to the table because it was really intriguing to me. Because I, 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 we say this a lot, Bill. I don't want the biggest name guy. I want the right guy. Yeah. Right. I don't care if, if I don't know his name at all. And with Volucci, who who is uh, uh, Sullivan's assistant coach with with Pittsburgh, um, he's only been an assistant coach in the NHL for two years, but he has a long coaching track record. Um, he won junior championships in the NAHL. He won um, an, o an OHL championship. He was the head coach of the Plymouth Whalers for a long, long, long time, and they were they were contender year in and year out. Um, he he was hired by uh, Carolina as um, as a player personnel guy, and also was the head coach of Charlotte. Uh, if you remember that that five overtime game between Phantoms and, and Charlotte. Um, Volucci was coaching the other side. Um, Phantoms won that game. They won that series. But the next year, uh, Charlotte won the Calder Cup, and they had, they they were just they were a juggernaut that year. Yeah. Um, and then and then Pittsburgh brought him in um, as head coach of Wilkes-Barre Scranton, also also as their general manager. Wow. So yeah, he, he he's, so he has front office experience, player personnel experience, and then two years he's a he's a very Sullivan like coach. I think that's, that's why he was such a good addition to Pittsburgh staff. Um, you know, a hard driving, very demanding coach, but also a good communicator too. So, I, you know, he's a guy. He's 55 years old, so he's not not a kid anymore. But he's been been coaching pretty much continuously since uh, since the mid 90s. Played briefly in the NHL during his playing days. That's that's an interesting under the radar name. Um, you know, there there are guys that have never gotten that shot but i think i think he might get more than one interview this offseason depending it's on so interesting to me yeah. you know why because he's a guy that's obviously worked with younger players at lower levels yeah you know and they're and you know not only a spotting talent developing talent we've talked about that a ton but the other thing bill is he's also been in the general manager chair to yes. put a team together and all of those things that's what has me so intrigued by Volucci is that it's not only that he's fresh eyes, fresh on the scene, he's not a kid, but he's kind of checked a lot of different boxes that I think could be really advantageous to being an NHL coach and one that's in the position that the Flyers are in right now. For, for sure. You know, when you're, when you're in the general manager's chair, um, and, and Volucci himself has said this, when you're, when you're a coach, you're, you're there to win, right? But when you're when he had that dual role as GM and coach, yeah. Hey, I'm also trying to develop guys and win. And he said, I think I've shown I can do that. I can do both. I mean, I, 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 I want a coach that believes he can do both because 
That's uh, especially given the state of the the Flyers roster, where developing some young players here is going to be critical moving forward because of the lack of cap space and and whatnot, and just just a need to have you know more depth and more contributors. But by the same time, you want the team to to play the right way and and play to win. Um, Bellucci, he's he's won at every level, so that's he. You know, it's a it's a very intelligent choice to be a guy to interview um whether he gets the job or not no idea you know um but that's you know that that's when when you're putting a committee of committee together here to t- talk about some candidates to interview i mean that's a you know that that shows that shows they're not just going after the big names out there they're going for who might be the right coach you know at the end of this process particularly if you don't get your first choice yeah um, I, the other thing too is you just talked about you, you're going to have to develop players going forward. Any good organization is going to have to do that to survive, not just in a flat cap world, in a normal world, but they have some rescues they have as well, out there as well. Got some, some developmental curves that need to be rescued a little bit, which brings me to my next question because we all saw the Nathan McKinnon goal the other night that put Colorado back up in that game 4-3. It ended up happening not in a, not in a game that they won. They ended up losing that game in overtime to a resilient St. Louis Blues team who got it tied up and then eventually won it in OT. But, you know, I, I put out a tweet with the highlight of that and just said, like, geez, like the un- it's an unbelievable coast-to-coast display of hockey skill, speed, power, precision, and finish, right? And we've seen it from Connor McDavid as well. And, and one of the guys responded and he said, you know, we haven't seen the Flyers player do something like that in 40 years. And I got to thinking about that. And I said, hmm. I'm going back and, and I went down a rabbit hole and I'm looking at YouTube. I'm looking at Eric Lindros highlights. He just wasn't a coast to coast kind of guy. No, we did it a few times, but not with that site, same type of precision. Uh, but he was a great player. He was the best player on the planet, I think, for four years. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, listen, maybe, yeah. yeah, you know, but by, by the same token here, and this this is that Pittsburgh series in, in 97, the one where Lindros lost his stick and he controlled the puck with his foot. For a good thirty-eight seconds. seconds, yeah, yeah. yeah so you know, yeah. I, I'd like to see Connor McDavid do that. So mm. you know, or, or I mean, it, that was just the power that he had, his strength, and you know. So there, there are different ways to dominate, but no, they haven't. They haven't had guys who were, you know, that constant coast-to-coast threat. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, but and it got me thinking. You know, do you have to have those kind of guys to win in today's NHL? Because you know, we talked about it a lot. You know. Drafting at the top of the lottery and great players, sometimes great players can't you can't put together a winning team. And now we've got McDavid and McKinnon in the McWestern final with those two. Yeah. You, you have, uh, you know, in, in that series, you have four of the top seven or eight best players on the planet right now in McKinnon, in McDavid, in Dreisaitl, in McCarr. I mean, it's unbelievable what's going to be on display there. I can't wait to watch it. And as we're recording this, we don't know who's going to win game seven between Carolina and the Rangers to move on and take on the two-time cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. But, I mean, high-end skill is is something you still need, and you got to find a way to build around it if you're going to have any success. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, I still think at the end of the day you need the depth. You need certainly need the goaltending. And, you know, also, I know now the – you know the Edmonton Calgary series was kind of an anomaly. There, there was, I mean, Calgary was a pretty good defensive team during the season, but I mean, Edmonton shredded them. The goaltending wasn't very good either. Yeah, but Markstrom, what happened to him? I mean, he just—I I don't know. 
a Vesna no, finalist and just looked absolutely bewildered. Is Bill, is that the effect of even when he's not on the ice, McDavid's effect on a game? Because he's so, because anytime he was on the ice, it just, it tilted. But even yes. when he stepped off the ice, Calgary still couldn't regain their structure. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely had a definitely had a carryover effect to the other shifts. Even when, you know, even if he was stopped by the defense one on one, it was more like more like they would exhale than than any, you know than anything else. I mean, he was he, he was just he has just played at an unbelievable level. Um, you know, but I said, I mean, that, that's an anomaly. Usually, usually if a you know that that's played that's played to Edmonton's liking. You play that wide open. Mm-hmm. You know, usually you're going to be the team that ends up getting burned a little bit, even even with you know you've. I mean, it happened to Edmonton some previous times, right? Um, and I and I, but I but I think that um, you know they're getting scoring from a lot of sources. It's not mm-hmm. just McDavid. He, you know, even even looking like a guy like Zach Hyman, right? Six goals and so you know they're they're getting scoring from different places in the lineup. Um, you know, they're they are. They have a good ba- they have a better balance too to the roster than they had before too. It's not a hundred percent McDavid, but obviously it starts and and Drysaddle too. But but certainly with McDavid, no doubt. And the one thing when you have players of that caliber for any of those teams is special teams built, and it's something that you know we're we're really kind of buried in who's the next head coach of the Flyers going to bring going to be, and who do, you know some coaches automatically bring certain guys, power play guy, PK guy with them, some guys. bring maybe one guy like Laviolette and they would assemble a staff around him. We'll see who that next guy is, but whoever the next guy is that controls the power play and the penalty kill from the flyers, those areas have to be massively improved because you can't, I don't know that you can show me a coach that's bad on both special teams and that's a good coach and having success. No, you, you, you absolutely can't. I mean, I can't even, you know, I, I can't even estimate how many points, the Flyers' poor special teams cost them during the season because the PK was at over eighty percent till Christmas, and then then the PK went down the drain, and the, the power play never got on track all year. Um, you know, it's uh, I mean, and it's not just you know it's not just the personnel piece of it too. There is a coaching piece of it because you know there have been guys there who've had success in the power play before. You know, it's uh, that that absolutely is an area that that ab, you know it definitely needs. Major, major, major improvement. No, no question. And and without it, it, it it's hard to uh, it's hard to imagine scenarios where you're going to be a playoff team. You need, you know, you need preferably both ends of it to be at least middle of the pack. Certainly, at least one end of it. You know, and um, yeah, I mean the I mean the, the way that it's changed too, Jason. You know, the uh, a twenty percent power play used to be you'd be up near the top of the league. Yeah. And now a twenty percent power play, you're seventeenth, eighteenth. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, twenty eight, so. twenty nine is top of the league, yeah. like percent, yeah. like, yeah. which is why, like, I think the two go hand in hand to success so much because a you got to be a team that really takes advantage of being on the power play, and you have to mitigate the damage when you don't because yeah. you know you look at it, you look at teams like Toronto this past year, you look at teams like Colorado, you look at teams like Florida and what they were able to accomplish on the power play. But then you look at the teams that also can kill. That's just, it's so yeah. paramount. And yeah. we saw scoring up this year. A, lot, a large part of that was to, to, to a degree, power plays being more successful. No, no question. Look at the league, the league averages were. 
Yep. You know, though like I said the league average was over twenty percent. So that's that's gonna go go hand in hand. Of course, with the the Flyers, and it took it took two power play goals in the final game to avoid having the worst power play season in franchise history. They were, you know, lots well, only the second worst. This was this wasn't the year to have that. You know, that's crazy. Um, it, it, it's insane. It's insane. Uh, we talked about Valucci before. He ran the PK for for Pittsburgh, so they were uh, like eighty four percent or something this year. So that was that'd be another that'd be another uh, notch in his column if, if he does end up. Being the guy, if they you know they they look at their B list guys for their finalists, uh, no doubt. Um, um, last thing, Bill. Actually, I have two more things. I'm going to get to Mark Howe because he just celebrated his 67th birthday on May 28th. But I, you know, I was really shocked because I when I'm always preparing for when you come on, I'm like, oh, what's an angle I can talk to Bill about that I'll totally get and be able to explain to me. And I looked at points percentage in the NHL since a very key date since the 0506 season when they came back. And it's not just the key date because that's when Chris Crosby enters the league. Right. It's the key date because that's when the salary cap enters the league. At what, 37 and a half million, maybe 39 and a half million yeah. was the cap when they first came back. Games were yeah. on the Outdoor Life Network, which doesn't exist and people didn't <laughs> yeah. know it existed back then. <laughs> so yeah. All the verses. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you look at back to that time period of the 0506 season, and you look at points percentage. And I'm going to take Vegas out because they've only played 373 games in that time. They're, they're a young franchise. But all the other franchises that have played north of 1,000 games, anywhere between 1321 and 1323, the reason why the numbers are different is because some teams played a couple more games in the COVID-shortened season. But since then, you, you look at the winning percentages in the NHL, the points percentage, and the Flyers have the 20th ranked point percentage in the NHL at 0.548. Um, they went to a cup final. They went to a couple of conference finals. But to be t- ranked, tw- well, I guess it's 19th if I'm taking out uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I-, I would expect it to be higher. That's got to be the the lowest it's been for an extended chunk of time in their team's history. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, I have some theories. Um, one of it being... No team has been worse than shootouts than the Flyers have. (laughs) So those are, you know, someone's winning that game. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a lot of games where you're leaving a point on the table. And that that sure adds up over 22 years. Yeah. So for 15 15 years, 17 years, rather, you know, it it adds up fast. So I think think that's a piece of it. Um, Flyers had some years in there, you know, when they were – were they either were they either were winning at home and not winning on the road? Um, you know, a cu- couple of those years uh, the, around like the Dave Haxtell era, um, and you, you could look at it. You could look at Steve Mason's numbers because it went right with it. Yeah, Mason actually over over his Flyers career had top five numbers in the league at home in terms of save percentage and whatever, but his road numbers were were less than average. You know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I mean, the, the Flyers kind of took on that personality too. those years. They would put up sometimes, you know, up as much about 96 points or whatever. But most of those came at home. So they weren't winning at home. They usually weren't winning. Yeah. Um, they had they had a few years there where it was the other way around, like with with Lavi for whatever reason. They, they seemed to yep. struggle winning at home. So sometimes it reverses. It's not always 100 percent. But I mean, it's really been it's really been the rare season where they've been unbeatable at home and, and well above average on the road. 
And those are those are what those are what your top teams are, right? They they have a winning record on the road and a, an outstanding record at home. That's the norm, right? Yeah. Again, not a hundred percent. Um, so I think that that that's definitely been a piece of it. And then recently too, as we were talking a little bit about the special team side, they've been trending the wrong way on on you know for on the power play side particularly. Going back, geez, what you know. To, I guess it's when Joey, Joey Mullen was here, and that's yeah. not, uh, you know, fifteen, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the Flyers were annually near the top in in those run of years, and since then, that's cost that's cost them games too. Yeah, you know, there, there have been games where, uh, you know, there's a game to be won. You got a power play in the third period, and you don't score on it. Game, you know, whether you, whether you end up getting zero points or one point out of it, I mean, all, all of that adds up, and. Their power play percentage in that same period so of time, I think, from 05, 06 to now, Bill, is actually seventh in the NHL. But that's buoyed by the early success of this sample, not the recent correct, success. Yeah. No, exactly. If you if you take over the last five six seasons, the Flyers are right near the bottom. Yeah. So that's uh, so. I mean, I, I think I think all of those things have contributed to it, and um, you know, and, and I also think when you look at the bigger picture too. Well, you know, you, you go since 2012, they had the almost they, for a number of years, they were alternating, make the playoffs, miss the playoffs, make the yeah. playoffs, miss the playoffs. Now they've missed back to back years. So, you know, the Flyers haven't made the playoffs in back to back years since what? Uh, since 20, uh, 20, 2011, 12, and 12, 2011, 11, 11 and 12. Yeah. Yeah. That's bananas. I, yeah. You know, the funny thing too is you look at shootouts and, there's actually one team in the NHL that's got less shootout wins in that period of time. That's Carolina. They probably just haven't been in as many. 50, many they have yeah. 51 yeah. shootout wins. Flyers have 54 shootout wins, tied with Calgary at 54. The odd thing, some of these teams, like Tampa Bay, only 70, 24th in the NHL in shootout wins. But they're a team that just didn't get to overtime or get to shootout a whole bunch. And I'll give you a dollar right now, Bill, if you can tell me the team that's got the most shootout wins in the NHL since 05 06. I would have never guessed it. Because I don't look at them as a team that would be a good shootout team. I have, I don't know. Islanders. New York Islanders. Wow. No, I would not. I would not have guessed the Islanders. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, look at the the Islanders are number one at eighty eight, and through most of that period of time, they were not a good team. They had a five twenty six yeah. win percentage, low, much lower than the Flyers, around twenty third in the league. Pittsburgh a second at eighty six shootout wins. The Buffalo Sabres, who haven't made the playoffs in over a decade, 84 yeah. shootouts. Yeah. Now, with Buffalo in some of those early years, they were they were automatic. Oh, yeah. In, in shootouts. That's when they, they still had Briere there. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, you know, they had guys that could just, you know, they could just end a game. But, I mean, yeah, you figure they've been a bad team not getting the shootouts because they're losing regulation. Yeah, know, exactly. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, the Sabres' win percentage since then is right at 500. Yeah. So uh, I just thought that was interesting. Um, last thing now, Bill. Uh, the birthday of Mark Howe was the other day. Happy birthday to Howie. It was on the 28th of um, of May. He was born in 1955. Mark Howe is 67 years, eight, years of age. By the way, he looks like he could still play, and I think he can because he was just such a smooth skater. And just the thing about his game, just so under control in all elements, spacing, gaps, movement of the puck. Everything was like a precision movement, no wasted movement. I know he's your favorite player of all time. Can you believe he's 67 years of age? 
that that's just that is just wild. I mean, I remember <laughs> I remember where I was when the news came that they'd made the trade with Hartford, you know, and uh, and, and you know, and I mean, the Flyers had to give up Kenny Lindsman to to get him, but it was like like wow, that that's our best defenseman right right off the bat. And I, I think people don't realize that you know Mark Howe. I think many some people may know that that Howe was a forward before he was a defenseman, um, and he was actually a forty goal winger who, at age twenty five, switched to defense and became a Norris Trophy defenseman. Um, you know, I mean, three times three times first runner up should have won at least one of those, probably two of those. But uh, you know, if you combine his his uh, WHA totals and his NHL totals, he had over four hundred goals. You know, and he wasn't, and he wasn't a one-trick pony. He played both sides of the puck. Um, he played in all game situations. You know, Mark Howe was so good that he used to challenge himself to to play a perfect game. And by a perfect game, he means no passes in anybody's skates, right? Um, no no bobbles, no misreads where maybe you poke check the guy at the last second. No no mistakes. And he said, you know. I think in my career, I only, and I, I put quotations in Mark only, I think I only did it two or three times. It's like <laughs> most players can't even dream of ever doing that, yeah. you know? But that that's just how good he was. And he played 929 NHL games. He had 545 uh, in that time, 545 points. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, 545 points in 16 total years in the NHL. And you combine his WHA uh, points as well, 296. And you're looking at a lot, a lot of points there. And the guy for his NHL career was plus 742. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, whenever people debate, plus 400. Whenever people debate plus minus, and I get that it can be a deceptive stat. I said, but sometimes every once in a while it tells you all you need to know. Yeah. And you look at the 85, 86 flyers where Markow was plus 85. And Brad McCrimmon was plus 83. And your next best defenseman was, was Marshy, Brad Marsh, at even. Everybody That's else was losing. Yeah. Yeah, that was the 85-86 season. He finished with 24 goals, 58 assists, 82 points in 77 games, and a plus 87. <laughs> Come on. It's not right. That's <laughs> just, I mean, he's the superstar, to go back to the McKinnon thing, that we yeah. overlook. Because it wasn't flash, and again, it was he, he to me. He was like the big, and it's weird because he switched from wing, like you said. But he's the big fundamental. Every yeah. fundamental yeah. element was precise, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And just just one more quick story about how precise he was. Um, you know, players are taught to obviously keep their keep their stick on the ice, and when Peter Zezel was a rookie. He had a bad habit of skating up ice with the stick in the air. Yeah. And they were, we were practice one time. Mike Keenan tells this story. And um, Hal made a slap pass to him and it just, just shattered the blade. And he said, Zez, next time keep your stick on the ice. Yeah. Because he did on purpose. He was, he was trying to do that. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, that, you know, that, so I mean, that, that's how precise he was that he, he, he could hit that spot with the guy breaking up the ice. Even, even in even in an alumni game, if you go back to the alumni game at, at Citizens Bank Park, um, you know, and and I know you know nobody's going to drill anybody, nobody's going to hit anybody, but they're competing, in the, especially in that third period. And he made this against the grain pass up the ice to Ronick, 
with uh, with Adam Graves, you know, challenging the pass. I thought, like, you know, active NHL defenseman would have trouble completing the pass that he just did, and he made it look easy in his, yeah. uh, you know, in his the late fifties at that time, I guess. Yeah, it was about ten years ago because that was two thousand twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game at Citizens Bank Park, and Adam Graves probably about 15 years younger than Howie as well. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, just unbelievable. So happy birthday to Mark Absolutely. Howie. Happy birthday, Howie. Yeah, happy birthday to Howie. Great place to, to put a wrap on this episode. We'll be back actually tomorrow, Wednesday and Friday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday this week. Thanks to Bill Meltzer from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. You can read his stuff there. We'll keep our ear to the ground for the news that's coming. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow in a brand new Flyers Day. Like a salted